Hi there everyone, it's always such a privilege to be sharing with you the word of God, the word of his power and the power of his word. Let's pray. Father, we open our hearts to you and we ask that you would bring clarity to our lives. Father, we want to get things done in our lives, Lord, and we thank you that we're learning so much about this. May you help us today as we resolve all our inner conflicts so that we can get things done. We open our hearts to you now. Come and teach us in Jesus' name. Amen. I believe that one of the greatest causes of inaction is what is known as inner conflict or internal conflict. And you see there are three types of internal conflict that I'm going to share with you in this message. And these types of internal conflict are basically the me-me conflict, the me-flesh conflict, the me-work conflict, those three. Me-me conflict, me-flesh conflict, and the me-work conflict. And let's see how we go. It's so important to understand why you have these inner conflicts, you see, and to get tools to resolve them. And I found that when you get the tools to actually resolve the internal conflict that you're experiencing, you're able to get things done. There's so many people living in limbo today, living in a state of ambivalence today, a state of contradiction, and it causes them to be paralyzed in terms of action. And I'm going to give you this powerful tool to be able to resolve these things. And by the way, this is the kind of message that you might need to listen to a few times. You might need to download the notes so that you really get it into your spirit, you know. And when you do so, the results are phenomenal. So let's have a look in James chapter 1 verses 6 through to 8. The Bible here says, but he must ask in faith. It's talking about asking for wisdom, right? He must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And we talk about this quite a lot, don't we? But the word double-minded actually comes from two Greek words, dis and suke, right? That's two minds or two souls. It literally means split in half or double-souled. So when you're double-souled or double-minded, you are unstable in all your ways. In all your ways. When we live with these inner conflicts within us, double-minded, double-souled, okay? Dis and suke. We are unstable in all our ways and the Bible says we shouldn't expect to receive anything from the Lord. Now, I'm very interested in this because if this is what the Bible says, right, this is the key to getting results in prayer, to achieving greatness in life. So I want to make sure I fully understand this. You see, in essence and by definition, this actually occurs when someone is split or vacillating in opinion or vacillating in purpose. That's what happens. And the Bible is clear about the power of agreement, isn't it? Okay. Yet we often forget about internal agreement, agreeing with yourself. And what I've seen is a lot of people don't actually agree with themselves. They're continuously contradicting themselves and they wonder why they're in the space that they're in. You see, it's important that everything we do stems from a heart that's full of peace, full of peace. And the Greek word for peace there is irene, irene. And um, that, that often speaks of being at one with, being at one with yourself, okay? Not being duplicitous, not being double-minded. And it only happens when we're at one with ourselves and we're at one with God. 
so important. The tragedy of the modern era is that our lives are riddled with different types of internal conflict that weigh us down and hinder us from getting important things done. And so this message hopefully will shift people from the divided self, what's known as the divided self, to the self that is as one, at, at one with self and at one with God. This is so important. What happens is a lot of Christians think if they just uh, pray about a problem, it disappears. Or if they just preach at a problem, it disappears. But the Bible shows us that if we want to make true disciples, the renewal of the mind is crucial. And uh, this is really a message about renewing our minds in order to resolve some of these conflicts. So the first type of internal conflict or inner conflict that I want to talk about is the Mimi conflict. And basically a Mimi conflict can occur when my will, my conscience or my desires clash with my self-concept. Okay. And this often stems from misbeliefs. Let me give you an example. Okay. A misbelief could be something like this. Pastors must always be nice, therefore I can't give church members negative feedback. I must always be the nice guy. Can you see what's happening? There are times when my conscience and my desire might be leading me to be truthful in giving someone feedback. But the image and the concept I might have of a pastor, I'm speaking hypothetically, right? Of a pastor is that I want to project that I'm this nice guy. What do I create? It's a me-me conflict. It's a me-me conflict. And the way this is resolved is by embracing the combo. This first type of me-me conflict, you resolve it by embracing the combo where you can say, you know what, I'm a kind and loving person who's also truthful. Okay, and you can be that. And if you look at the Hebrew people, the way they viewed God, the way they viewed themselves, they could embrace ambiguity. But the problem today is we're very either or. We're very either or. God is like this, he's not like that. God is like this, he's not like that. But maybe both is, God is both those things, all right? Uh, another example of a Mimi conflict is I'm a generous person, therefore I can never say no to someone who asks for something. But this is resolved when you embrace the combo, when you're able to say I'm a generous person with healthy boundaries. I'm a generous person who's primarily responsible for A, B, and C, but not D. You're responsible for D. And we have to be able to flow in life like this. Otherwise, we'll be caught in, uh, in these Mimi conflicts. Let me give you an example. There's a, an old colleague of mine who was in this type of situation concerning generosity. She said to me some years ago, she said, Paul, you know what? Whenever I go out with this friend of mine, we take it in turns to, to pay. You know, sometimes I pay and then the next time she'll pay right that's what this particular person said to me and um she went on to say but paul i noticed something that for about three times in a row it was just me paying it was just me paying so i had to have a difficult conversation with this friend of mine and paul it was going to be a difficult conversation you know why it's because i see myself as a generous person now there's the risk that this friend of mine is going to turn around and say were well, you actually counting you are, ooh, you're stingy. You actually counted the number of times you did this for me. Oh, how can you do that? You're a stingy person. Can you see the me-me conflict that was taking place? There was a conflict between her self-concept, I'm a generous person, and the fact that she now was seen to be counting that behavior. All right? But she managed to resolve it because she realized that, you know what, you can be a generous person with boundaries. You can be a generous person who's assertive. And I'm encouraging you because for many of you, you remain stuck 
in a space where you have this Mimi conflict and then you get anxious. You get anxious as a result of this. Okay. Um, sometimes the Mimi conflict manifests like this. I'm the head of my house and a strong leader. Therefore, I can never show weakness. Okay. That's a misbelief, isn't it? Okay. This can be resolved by embracing the combo. What's the combo? My strength is seen in my vulnerability. Being vulnerable is strong. His strength, God's strength, is perfected in weakness. You know, Paul the Apostle says, I'll boast in weakness, right? That's a mark of strength. I want to encourage you to resolve those inner conflicts because if you don't, you remain in limbo and you don't get kingdom things done. So this is an important thing to understand um, that Mimi conflicts actually slow you down and they delay you when it comes to getting things done. So important. I've seen this in one organization where a strong leader struggled to have a difficult conversation with a team member. This leader was a strong leader and I was coaching him and he said to me, Paul, you know what? This is a bit tricky for me. There's a particular person who is abusing, I think it was sick leave that this person was abusing. I said to the guy, well, have the difficult conversation with this individual. And this person said to me something interesting. He said, Paul, I don't want to be seen as the, the, the harsh guy. I don't want to play bad cop. Because, you see, his personal brand, his leadership brand, had revolved partly around the fact that he valued work-rest balance. He wasn't into clock watching. He didn't like to micromanage people. Can you see there was a Mimi conflict between how he saw himself and what he was trying to project and then also the thing that he was concerned about. That mate, as a leader, I must address this issue. People shouldn't be abusing their leave, all right? And so the way for him to have resolved it was to come to a place of realizing you can be a leader who values work-rest balance. You can be a leader who doesn't micromanage people, who understands the people side of things, but is still firm with people. I've seen in the workplace a lot of people struggle with this. So they're firm with their subordinates, but then they feel terrible about it um, in the evening when they get home. And then the following day, they backtrack everything they did that was good. And they start saying, oh, you know what? I think I was just having a bad day. Sorry, uh, it was a difficult time. Maybe I'm just stressed out. You guys are actually an amazing team. When that was not actually the feedback they should be then giving them. So be careful of that because it stops you from getting things done. Now, here's the thing. These inner conflicts that we have, we resolve them when we mature to a place of embracing ambiguity. It's so important to break out of this either or thinking that so many people are in and to embrace both and thinking around certain things. Otherwise, we remain ambivalent and we remain inactive. It's so important for believers to understand that God is not one dimensional. In fact, the Bible talks about the many-sided or the multicolored, polypoikolos is the Greek word used, the multicolored nature of God's wisdom. There are many dimensions to him. That's why he's got many different names, all right? Because they reveal his nature. And we are created in his image and we should also embrace his nature. We're partakers of the divine nature. We've been, we've been called by God to express different dimensions of his character. Have a look at John 1 verse 17. It says, For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So Jesus came with grace and truth you know some people are just truth 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 other people are just grace 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 
But the nature of God's grace is that it's truthful. It has to be because that's the nature of who God is. His spirit is the spirit of truth. The Bible says the spirit of truth will guide you into all truth. This is crucial just in our discipleship process to understand this. Okay, I don't want to just manifest one aspect of God. I want to embrace him for who he is. Now we see this in scripture that Jesus embodied both grace and truth. We see in the book of Ephesians that we are called to express truth, but to do so in love. There are many people who say, no, I'll never tell him that. I'll never tell him that. I love him too much to tell him that. No, we're called to express truth, but to do so in love. Many Christians live out of, um, they live out one extreme over another. In Ephesians 4 verse 15, the Bible says, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. How do we mature? What's a sign of maturity? What's a sign of growth? Speaking truth in love. Who do you need to speak the truth to? Don't say, oh, I'll never speak to my neighbor. No, still speak the truth, but do so in love. Embrace the two. And this thing of, oh, if you really love someone, you won't be direct with them. You won't be candid with them. You won't say what you mean and mean what you say. That's so unscriptural. That's so unscriptural. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 6, the Bible says, Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. The nature of love is that it rejoices with the truth. Sadly, today, so many people don't rejoice with the truth. They don't. Too often people are inactive and they never get things done because they're trying to bypass telling the truth. Have you noticed that? So we avoid the difficult conversation. We move people around and say, oh, let's second you here. Let's second you there. It's actually been found that a lot of CEOs in organizations don't actually give someone direct feedback. The person just finds themselves working somewhere else and they're wondering like, hey, okay, is this a sort of promotion? I don't know. It feels like a demotion. I'm not too sure. And then when you speak to the CEO, they tell you the real reason why that person has been sent to that place. All right. So um, this is so important and it happens because people are bypassing telling the truth. Truth telling is an uncommon virtue today. You see, they tell you that, oh, I didn't want to hurt the other person. But love rejoices in truth. You see, truth expressed in the context of love is actually healthy. Truth that is expressed in the context of love is healthy. Now, we've been called to express the truth in love and we need to embrace both the kindness of God and the severity of God. This is another important thing. The Bible speaks of this. In Romans chapter 11, verse 22, it says, Consider therefore the kindness and sternness of God. Some translations say severity of God. Sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you. Provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. So there's some people who are cut off, all right? And we mustn't, we mustn't suppress certain aspects of God just to suit how we want to see him. You see, we, we sometimes tend to create God in our own image, okay? And then we begin to worship that image, but it's not who God is, right? I like it in the NLT. It says, notice how God is both kind and severe. So we must notice that. He's severe toward those who disobeyed, but kind to you if you continue to trust in his kindness. But if you stop trusting, that's in his kindness, you will also, you also will be cut off. You see, there's another type of Mimi conflict I want to share with you. And this occurs when your current lifestyle is different to the image that you want to project. 
Okay, let me ask you a question. Maybe you should ask yourself this question. Do I spend a lot of time hiding my actions or my beliefs from others? If you do, there's possibly a Mimi conflict that you're experiencing because your lifestyle is different to the image that you want to project. Let me give you an example. Uh, for example, I know some people, um, friends of mine, who went to Disney World on holiday, but they lied to their extended family that it was a business trip where the family was allowed to also join in. Okay. Now, what Mimi conflict do you think was going on there? What dissonance were they experiencing? Right? How could they have resolved this? These are key questions to ask because some of you also go through this type of thing. You see, to, to resolve this type of Mimi conflict, it's important to renounce this is so important it's important to renounce your need to control other people's perception of you many of us do this so we end up uh, lying to people all right or omitting all sorts of truths and everything is on a need-to-know basis and we find ourselves continuously saying to people a particular thing and then we say but just between me and you just between me and you just between me and you don't tell anyone else this okay that requires so much energy to keep everything a secret and as I've said before I, I like saying this to people your opinion of me will not control my destiny your opinion of me will not control my destiny and so it makes me a free person I'm free to be who God has called me to be and you see some people they, they're so shy about the success in their lives but that success that you're experiencing could be inspiring someone else are you are you this person who's praying prayers in the closet wanting greatness wanting success wanting to walk in abundance but then your confession is the opposite when you're speaking to people around you that's a me me conflict you're experiencing it means you're double-minded because you're continuously projecting one thing but you're something else in private just watch out for that people don't have power over you to control your destiny okay people are only as powerful as you allow them to be over you in social psychology cognitive dissonance is an interesting term it's a theory that was developed by a guy called leon festinger those of you who studied psychology might be familiar with him um, in in mid part of last century okay and it refers to the mental conflict that occurs when a person's behaviors and beliefs do not align okay so there's incongruence between their behavior and their beliefs and this happens so much it also occurs when a person holds two contradicting beliefs simultaneously now that's not that easy to do but many people do it and there's a way they rationalize these things away okay the result of this is that many people explain away the things that they do and they rationalize their behavior when valid information is being presented before them the outcome of cognitive dissonance is often this uneasy feeling this anxiety sometimes it's shame sometimes it's guilt sometimes it's secrecy that, that people experience. The degree of this dissonance is influenced by a number of things. It's influenced by the type of belief, all right, uh, that you have, right? It depends on the type of belief. It also depends on the size of the disparity between your actions and your belief. For some people, it's tiny. For other people, it's actually quite uh, massive. And it also depends on the value of the particular belief. How much you value it all right so some people find it easier resolving these disparities than others now here's the thing the time it takes you to resolve these disparities will affect your action orientation and your general productivity this is so important to understand you see a lot of people live in what's called relationship ambivalence 
right? Where the relationship is too good to leave, but too bad to stay. And when you are in that state of dissonance or ambivalence, you often feel guilty, you often feel anxious, and you often feel ashamed. Now, ask yourself, what do I do when I'm experiencing dissonance? How does it slow down my action orientation and productivity? What do I do when I can feel this gap between my espoused beliefs and my behavior? Now, there are a number of things that people do just to avoid this uneasy feeling, right? Let me ask you some questions. Do you shy away from discussions on certain topics? Do you avoid learning new information that goes against your existing beliefs? Do you avoid information or, for example, the doctor's advice that may actually cause this dissonance? Do you avoid getting to know people that you have been prejudiced against in case their behavior contradicts your negative beliefs about them? In other words, very often what happens is that we, we often avoid the feeling of dissonance by attempting to squash the truth. This happens a lot. Now here's the thing, I'm, I'm going to give you an example. If someone promotes health and fitness, but they don't practice these things, health and fitness, then they can experience a type of cognitive dissonance, which we call hypocrisy. And you feel like a hypocrite. I experienced this as an executive coach uh, before I was consistent in my physical training, my physical exercise, the runs I do. The result of this is that you, you can feel like a fake. You can feel uh, almost like a lack of confidence in really accomplishing great things. Because often I'll feel this Mimi conflict where I'll be sitting with this fear of being found out that Paul isn't actually solid in every aspect of his life. When you're coaching certain people and you, you know a lot of theories about training and exercise and good health and so on, so you can say a lot of things to them, but if you're not practicing it, if you're being a hypocrite, there's that side of you where you're caught with, and you feel anxious actually because it's the fear of being found out. And one of the reasons I made it a point to become consistent when it comes to a healthy lifestyle, my training, my physical fitness, is I wanted my behavior to align with my knowledge and my beliefs. This is so important. And some of you can identify with what I'm saying in your own fields, in your own lives. And very often, only the Lord will know. Who, who am I when no one is watching? Who am I when no one is watching? You see, a lot of people are not prospering today because of a Mimi conflict that says desiring wealth is greed. So my prayers must just be small prayers to cover my needs. And when I'm praying in a group setting, I won't be too audacious. Yet that's where we must be audacious because there's power in agreement. Okay? And a lot of people experience these Mimi conflicts. Okay? Such a person never prays audacious prayers. They're never bold when it comes to really praying strong prayers because of the image that they're actually trying to project. Now, here's the thing, here's the thing. You resolve these things when you come to a place of basically saying, I can embrace the combo. It is possible for me to embrace the combo that, hey, I can be a humble person yet walk in abundance. And also the breakthrough comes when you suppress the lies, when you say, I'm rebuking these lies. I'm no longer going to lie anymore to myself and to other people. I'm going to be transparent. You see, I remember a particular lady who I used to coach. She was quite high up in one of the banks. And I said to her, I've noticed that when you're sitting on this exco, you're quite aggressive. 
and there's an aggression that you project and you get quite defensive. But I've observed that when you're with your team, you're very motherly and very nurturing. And I like that side of you. Tell me what's going on. You see, we suspend judgment. Tell me what's going on. And she said, you know what, Paul? One of my biggest fears is that someone is going to come to me and say to me, I did not deliver. And the way I compensate for this, she actually would overcompensate. She says, you know what, Paul? I over deliver. In fact, as we speak, we're not even halfway through the year, but I've actually achieved my annual targets. Right? That's how she would operate. And I said, you know what the problem with that is? When you're projecting this ideal image of yourself to everyone, but there's something else going on in the inside, it's actually an anxiety gap. It's an anxiety gap. And the nature of that anxiety is the fear of being found out. And what she didn't realize was that I was coaching one of her bosses and he would actually tell me what her weaknesses were. You see, people already know. Very often people already know the very things we're trying to hide from them. And I said, the way you resolve this is just level up with people. Just tell them, this is what I'm good at and this is what I'm not great at. Level up with people. Then you don't feel this fear of being found out. This is so important. I want to encourage you. If God has prospered you, then you can give him praise and embrace it unapologetically. You don't, lift, you don't need to live in that state of a me-me conflict. What will people think? Will people think I'm showing off? All right, that's another big fear people have. Here's the thing, don't feel guilty about your success unless your wealth is as a result of stealing from the people around you. And I'm sure it's not that. So why are you feeling guilty about it? Rather give God the praise and give God the thanks. Reject all lies and be comfortable with weakness. Boast about your weaknesses. This is so, so important. This is biblical Christianity. The second type of conflict I want to talk about is the me-flesh conflict. The me-flesh conflict. Paul the Apostle experienced this me-flesh conflict and so do all of us. We see this in the passage uh, that I'm going to read to you now, how he struggles to resolve this inner conflict. But it was important for him to resolve it. In Romans 7, 15 to 25, the Bible says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate to what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. Verse 17, as it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. Can you see the conflict between your spirit and then your flesh? So I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin living in me that does it. So I find this law is at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. This is a real inner conflict. And he, he kind of spews it out, doesn't he, for us to see. But we can identify with this country. In verse 22, For in my inner being I delight in God's law. That's my spirit man, delights in God's law. But I see another law at work in me. I mean, if you see another law at work in you, okay? Waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work with me, within me. Verse 24, What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God. This is the resolution. Who delivers me. 
through Jesus Christ our Lord. Who delivers you from what? Who delivers you from this inner conflict that you're going through? Okay. I like Matthew chapter 26 verse 41 in the Amplified. It says, this is Jesus speaking, keep actively watching and praying. So it's an active process to deal with this me flesh conflict. Keep actively watching and praying. Why? That you may not come into temptation. Why? The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. I'm going to speak to you at some point on the power of our wills, our wills being aligned with God's will. The spirit is willing. The spirit is willing. If your spirit is weak, right, you find that the, your will also becomes weak. But the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Some translations say the flesh is weak. Now, here's the thing the me flesh conflict takes place when my spirit clashes with my flesh. When my spirit clashes with my flesh we need to feed our spirit man so that the spirit man is stronger than the flesh and the the soul now resolving this inner conflict like i said to you it's an active process isn't it it's an active process in galatians 6 verse 8 the bible says whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life So it's up to you what you sow into. It's up to you what you sow into. The more you sow into your flesh by giving attention and mind share and mental real estate to the things of the flesh, then the more you will experience this inner conflict with your flesh tending to dominate your spirit. And you know what? Jesus recognized this principle, didn't he? He recognized this principle at work in us. That's why in Matthew uh, Matthew chapter 26, verse uh, 41, the Bible says, Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. This is Jesus saying, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now, here's the thing. Not everything that slows you down or hinders you is sin. Sometimes there are things in our flesh that our flesh desires, that are weights that stop us from getting things done. And we need to know what these things are. You see, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 1, many of you should be familiar with this uh, scripture. The Bible says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything. So we have to do the throwing off. Okay? It just doesn't, doesn't just happen automatically. Let us actively throw off everything that hinders us. So that's one category of things. Whatever is hindering you. Right? And then it says separately, and the sin that so easily entangles. So there are two categories of things that hinder me. There are things that hinder me, and we can list all those things. These are weights. The Bible sometimes describes this as a weight that hinders me, that slows me down, that stops me from getting things done. And then there's also sin. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Now, if you know that the more you weigh, Okay, the more weight you have on you, it affects you if you want to run fast, doesn't it? And it's the same in life. What are those things that are weighing you down, that are hindering you from getting things done? And, and very often these are fleshly things. They don't always manifest as sin, but they're things that the flesh desires. Now, if we, are, if we were to throw these things off, then we must first identify them. We must first identify them. You see, these things of the flesh end up ensnaring us. You see, they end up ensnaring us. 
in the New King, James, New King James Version, it reads like this. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. A lot of times we focus so much on dealing with sin, dealing with sin and repenting of sin, but we forget about the weights. We forget about the weights. Here's my question to you. What are the weights and sin that are hindering you from getting kingdom things done in your life? And here's the thing. If you keep feeding your flesh and those weights, you will experience massive tug of war between your flesh and your spirit. The thing we want to do is to disempower our flesh and to empower our spirit man. There are certain things I can do to feed my spirit man, to become enlarged in my inner person so that I'm not worried about the things of the flesh. Okay, The things of the flesh do not become a strong temptation for me because I've got an appetite for the things of the spirit. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, it says, For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. You see, it's so important for us to be radical about these things. Christians who try to entertain both the world and the things of God, they end up delaying getting kingdom things done okay, uh, in their lives because of this. Because they're trying to do a both and in terms of the world and, um, and the Lord. It doesn't work. The happiest believers are the ones that are most consecrated to the Lord. They've, they've pre-decided that this is who I'm following, right? You see, a common me-flesh conflict is where we do things partially for God's glory and partially for our own significance and glory. And then you're, you're upset when you don't get the glory. You complain when someone else takes the credit that you felt, hey, this is for me. Why? Because your motives were wrong. You weren't doing it purely for the Lord. You were doing it partially for self. And when you start feeling a certain emotion, very often our emotions send messages to us. And you realize, I felt so angry because it wasn't really true love. It was love with a hook. There was a bit of a motive there. When I did that, uh, I was doing it so that this person respects me more, so that this person likes me more. And when I see that I don't get a response from them, I'm feeling angry. I'm feeling upset. Why? Because my heart was not pure when I was doing it. This is important to understand. See, many believers desire honor from God whilst aggressively pursuing validation from men. That's, that's a me-flesh conflict there and there. You want to honor God. That's your spirit. Your, your, your spirit man wants to honor God, but your flesh wants validation from man. There's a bit of a problem there. And this is where God calls us to really renew our minds around these things. You know, what I like about Jesus is Jesus helped people with me-flesh conflicts. He helped them just make that decision with regards to following him. In Matthew 6, uh, 24, the Bible says, No one can serve two masters. This is Jesus speaking. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. There Jesus is basically saying, listen, let's sort out this conflict you're experiencing between your flesh and your spirit. Just make a decision who you're going to serve. Right? Don't be lukewarm. Book of Revelation tells us, do not be lukewarm or I'll spit you out of my mouth. Right? In Mark 10, 17 to 23, here's a powerful example of Jesus helping someone to resolve this me-flesh conflict. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, 
What must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your mother and father. Honor your father and mother. Verse 20. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Isn't that awesome? And he loved him. In other words, he was about to speak truth to him, but in love. He looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack. So Jesus acknowledged that this guy was pretty good. He's doing a lot of good things. All right. But Jesus says, one thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. That's where you have the me-flesh conflict that this guy was experiencing. He's, he's managed since he was a child to do all these other things, which wasn't easy, wasn't easy. And then Jesus says, this is the one thing you lack. He didn't say a whole lot of other things. He said, this one thing you lack. Then come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell. I want to ask you a question. What causes your face to fall? What causes you to feel sad when you read the word of God and the word of God is saying this one thing you lack and you realize it and you feel convicted but you feel sad and you don't get kingdom things done because of this me flesh conflict that doesn't go away. I hope for this man's sake that he was one of the guys in the book of Acts, you know, who gave away land and that kind of thing. Some people believe that maybe he was. I hope he was. But the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. I want to say to those of you with, with wealth and those of you pursuing wealth, be very, very careful. Be very, very careful that that money doesn't have you. Money can be a good servant, but it's not a good master. Could it be that you are very religious, but there's an area of your life where your flesh still dominates? Who else would have picked up on this? It's amazing how Jesus just picked up on this one thing. I wonder how this man was perceived by other people. Could it be that others had praised him, including his parents, saying he's such a good boy. He doesn't commit this sin. He honors his mother and father. He's just amazing. But then heaven was not applauding. You see, it was this particular me-flesh conflict in his life that was stopping him from getting true kingdom things done. Because Jesus said, then follow me. So it means he was doing all these religious things, but he wasn't necessarily following Jesus. You see, being religious does not mean you are really following Jesus. Could it be that today God could be saying to you, he's pleased with your prayers. He's pleased with your concern for people. But there is one thing you need to give up. Because that could be your downfall, that one thing. And don't say, no, 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 all my good things, they, they, they kind of like cancel out my bad things. That's the mindset many people have. But Jesus focused on that one thing, that one me-flesh conflict that could be your downfall. Let me give you some common examples of some me-flesh conflicts that people experience. They often manifest when there's a desire to obey God's word, but your flesh which also includes your soulish behavior, like the need to be needed by people, etc. Okay, your flesh wants something else. Do you ever experience that? 
The word of God is saying one thing, but your flesh wants something else. For example, you know that the Bible says that it's important to discipline your kids. And this is actually a sign of your love for them, right? A father who loves his son will discipline their son, will discipline their daughter. But you're struggling with seeing them sad, seeing them hurt, seeing them isolated, you know? Uh, after you've disciplined them. And let me just say something, when it comes to discipline, sometimes that's a bit of a misbelief. Because I found with my kids, after I've disciplined them, very often that's when they're quite needy and they want to actually connect and our relationship grows from that. Maybe that person where you know it's in the word of God, but you're tired of playing bad cop all the time. Maybe there's that me-flesh conflict that keeps you in limbo with regards to disciplining your child. You should be doing so, but you want to be the popular parent, right? Or perhaps you're in a situation where you've got a boyfriend who's unsaved and you've got this me-flesh conflict that causes you to remain in limbo, right? You remain in relationship ambivalence because you know that the Bible says do not be unequally yoked to an unsaved boyfriend or girlfriend. But in principle, you're quite an inclusive and acceptive, accepting person and you, you like including people and not judging people. And this guy is actually quite a nice guy and you really genuinely don't want him to feel rejected. And that's your general calling in life. So your flesh and the way you're even naturally wired is struggling with this. And so you might spend years in relationship ambivalent, ambivalence, yet you're a strong Christian in other areas. In other areas you're strong but in this area because of this me flesh con conflict you struggle because you take responsibility for the relationship and you say no 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 i don't want him to think ill of christians i don't want him to think christians are nasty people and judgmental people you see so that's a classic example and so many people i see so many women in particular struggling to block an unsaved guy you know who's hitting on them right struggling to do so Oh, I don't want him to think I'm arrogant. What he thinks of you is irrelevant. It's important that you stay submitted to the word of God. That's why we have that saying, you have to embarrass sin before sin embarrasses you. Okay? I remember years ago, some ladies coming to me and saying, please, please, Pastor Paul, you need to do a message on how to block a guy spiritually. How to do it God's way. You know? Maybe I'll do that sometime. How to block a guy God's way. Okay? I know some of the gents there are thinking, you know, Paul also, how to block a girl. Uh, God's way. So maybe you know it's important for Christians to speak up and to not be ashamed of Jesus' teachings, but you remain silent. You remain silent by rationalizing that you don't want to be perceived as self-righteous or judgmental. The truth is that you actually have a deep fear of being banished from the in-group, a deep fear of rejection, a deep, deep fear of being um, judged unfairly, misunderstood. That's the real issue. Right? But you suppress this by explaining away your behavior. Here's the thing. Do you know how to resolve such inner conflict? Because therein lies your breakthrough. Therein lies your breakthrough. You see, the me-flesh conflict is in effect also a me-God conflict, isn't it? So there's a conflict between your flesh and your spirit. But there's also conflict between your will and God's will. So ask yourself the following questions. Am I wrestling with God's authority in any area of my life? Can I unequivocally answer the question, who's in charge of my life? Am I willing to surrender to his purpose and plan for my life? Am I positioning myself to pass the tests in my life? Or am I just going round in circles? 
Have I completely yielded to God's word and God's ways? And I want to encourage you to pray the prayer of relinquishment. That's a prayer of surrender. That's a prayer of letting go. To relinquish means to release or to let go. And there are powerful songs that we sing, you know, in times of worship that are really songs of consecration and songs of relinquishment. Songs like I Surrender All. Songs like um, the William McDowell one, uh, Withholding Nothing. That's a song of relinquishment. Withholding nothing. I give myself away. Very, very powerful. I like what Oswald Chambers said. No one is ever united with Jesus Christ until he is willing to relinquish, not sin only, but his whole way of looking at things. You see, when you relinquish your way of looking at things, you're starting to get rid of some of those weights in your life. In the book titled Prayer, Finding the Heart's True Home by Richard Foster. I don't know if you're familiar with Richard Foster, the guy who wrote books like Celebration of Discipline. Uh, he writes this. He writes that we begin to enter into a grace-filled releasing of our will and a flowing into the will of the Father. It is the prayer of relinquishment that moves us from the struggling to the releasing. This prayer is a bona fide letting go, but it is a release with hope. God is not destroying the will, but transforming it so that we can freely will what God wills. You see, God doesn't want to squash your will. God wants your will, your human will, to be aligned with his will. I'm going to teach on the human will sometime because this is such a key thing when it comes to doing God's will and getting things done. You see, a lot of people are wrestling with God. But God wants to move us from a place of wrestling with him to relinquishing, relinquishing, to surrendering. And it's so powerful. And sometimes the process involves the wrestling. But then we come to a place of relinquishing. So powerful. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20, the Bible says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Have you accepted that? Who is in you? Whom you have received from God. You are not your own. If only all believers everywhere realize this. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. The me-flesh conflict is resolved when you come to a place of revelation that I'm actually not my own. I'm not my own. This is who I belong to. And then you flow with him. You see, breakthrough in this area takes place when we accept that we do not belong to ourselves. So we've spoken about the me-me conflict. We've spoken about the me-flesh conflict. And now the third one is the me-work conflict. The me-work conflict. You see, the me-work conflict can occur when there's no balance in your life. Sometimes this is an indication that it's time to move on. You know what I'm talking about? Where you're working, working, working so much and you just realize, you know what, this is not working anymore because some of the things that are priorities in my life are really suffering now. Some of the people that are priorities in my life and you realize this is not the environment for me. At times it happens also when the grace to be in a certain environment has actually lifted. So you, you were fine for a number of years in that environment, but now you've reached a point where the grace has lifted and it's now really, really tough. I remember experiencing this in the early 2000s when I was in, in consultancy. 
and I was working for a, a human resource consulting firm and um, I was in transition in terms of working for the ministry for a particular uh, large church and it was an interesting dynamic for me because I found myself going to church meetings or staff meetings would happen during working hours quite a bit you know and sometimes I would you know maybe ask to be released to do that or I would just compensate in terms of my time and I found myself doing it more and more and it reached a point where it was not working anymore there was a me work conflict I was experiencing the grace had lifted had a conversation with my boss and I ended up moving on and working for that particular church I was starting to feel frustrated it wasn't working well for my boss despite the value I'd been adding and so on so that's a classic example and many people go through this you see the me work conflict also occurs when the values and expectations at work clash with my personal principles and beliefs you see your primary loyalty is to God and his principles and when your place of work is clashing when the corporate values are clashing with your primary loyalty which is God um, then there's a bit of a problem there. You need to go with your primary loyalty. For example, I remember someone I was coaching wanting to work for a, a development type of banking, right? Uh, as opposed to remaining working in the treasury department of the particular bank that she was working for. And she would say to me, Paul, I'm really struggling with the way our bank makes money from our customers. It just feels so wrong. I think I should have gone into development banking. This person was experiencing a me work conflict okay so she was struggling with this and was producing this extreme inner conflict within her now here's the thing i'm sure she was happy about the money she was earning i'm sure she was giving a lot and using it wisely okay but at the same time she was probably feeling the guilt and the shame that go with a me work conflict you see it ends up affecting your productivity and it affects your ability to get things done even at a subconscious level now here's the thing, it's important to note that some of these conflicts, these me work conflicts, don't affect other people in the same way that they affect you. Remember these inner conflicts, right? It's sometimes based on the degree to which you believe a particular thing. If your beliefs are extremely strong and your behavior is such that you're quite involved in that environment, then the gap between your beliefs and your behavior, your beliefs and your lifestyle will be quite big and the dissonance will be very strong. So it affects our productivity. How do you get things done productively if you're walking around with shame and guilt and secrecy around certain things, right? So her conscience was at work. There have been times when I've had to prayerfully consider doing work for certain organizations in my business, you know, consulting for certain companies that sell certain things that I wouldn't endorse. Right? And I would find myself not being that public about, oh, I did it for this company, oh, I did it for that company because I'm a pastor and there's some people who might not understand. Right? Sometimes I've had to say to myself, you know what, but Paul, your focus wasn't on helping them market that product. Your focus was just on the relationships that are there. And, you know, uh, people need that. They need personal growth wherever they are, regardless of the environment. But there's that me work conflict that I've experienced in those situations where I found that I don't necessarily push for more work in those types of environments because there's a bit of a reticence there, right? So some people are good at identifying these, these me work conflicts, whilst with other people, they remain experiencing 
this conflict right for a very long time i remember coaching a particular lady she was working for a, a particular multinational in the telecom industry and i remember she experienced this she said paul you know what there's certain aspects of my job that i really really like but there are other aspects i don't really like but I see it's the opposite with those people there. So I need to have a difficult conversation with them with regards to us maybe swapping aspects of our roles. So she made a decision to do so with regards to this. She was resolving an inner conflict within her. And the nature of that inner conflict was a me-work conflict. Okay? Sometimes me-work conflicts take place when you're given instructions by your boss that go against what is best for the company. Okay? And you see, sometimes this inner conflict can be resolved when you realize that your role is, to, is not to make decisions for your boss. Your role is to warn them and to advise them about the consequences of the decisions that they've made. Can you see the difference? And some people remain in this conflict because they're taking responsibility for everyone and everything. And they think they're accountable, they're accountable, you know. No. I remember speaking into a situation where someone disagreed with how her company was charging clients and cited that it seems to be a bit inconsistent. This one is charged this and that one is charged that. And I explained to her that it was normal practice in other organizations for various reasons to have different rates for different companies and different types of organizations and that her role was to advise her leaders but she wasn't accountable and this seemed to just help her with that me work conflict and I know what I'm saying is going to help some of you because you are high on responsibility and you want to save the world you see um, so it can be a lot more challenging when the inner conflict that you experience actually occurs as a result of a clash between the instruction you get from your boss and your personal beliefs and that's where you say, you know what? My personal beliefs actually will come first in this, even if it means I'm going to suffer in the process. And we see this with Daniel. Daniel is such a good example of this. In Daniel 6, verse 7, it says, The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days except to you your majesty shall be thrown into the lion's den now essentially daniel was thrown into the lion's den because he ignored this particular edict okay so there's, there's a clash between the command from his boss technically speaking and his personal beliefs now today have you noticed that there are many subtle aspects of organizational culture that embrace some people and exclude those who don't conform, those who don't comply. And the challenge for us is, are we going to be a Daniel or are we going to compromise? Are you going to be a Daniel or are you going to compromise? This is so important. And I love the way the name Daniel means God is my judge. God is my judge, right? Not man. So if you do not pre-decide what you will do in such cases, you'll be riddled with inner conflict. What do I do? My boss wants as well. What do I do? You cannot serve both God and mammon. You can see that for Daniel, it was a non-issue. And I believe that Daniel continued praying largely because it was actually a habit. It was actually a habit. In Daniel 6 verse 10, it says, Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room, where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, 
just as he had done before. I love that. Just as he had done before. Powerful, powerful stuff. You see, I like to say this to people. It's something that I learned years ago. Uh, if staying in your current environment is causing you to sin, then perhaps it is time for you to move on. If staying in your current environment is causing you to sin, then perhaps it's time for you to move on. Someone once said to us, never stay in a business that you can't walk away from. You see, here's the principle. If you can't walk away from it, then it means the business has you. The business has you. There's an interesting type of me work conflict around the work of evangelism. Some people have embraced a theology that expresses that God doesn't really want some people to get saved. So it's okay if we don't reach out to them. Okay, This might be a way of these people actually trying to resolve an inner conflict that they experience when people reject this wonderful gospel. But I like what the Bible teaches. It resolves this conflict for us. In 2 Peter 3 verse 9, the Bible says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. This is so powerful. Pastor Chuk's Ugoi um, here, my friend, he was sharing this with me, and I thought, sure, this is so powerful. And he said to me, if God is willing, the question is, are we willing? And I said to him, you know what, it's interesting, because Jesus actually has resolved this inner conflict for us by making it clear that the Father's heart is willing to save the challenge is in the laborers, isn't it? In Matthew 9, 37 to 38, Bible says, Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest. You see, it's easy to say, Oh yes, the harvest is plentiful all over the world. Do you believe that the harvest is plentiful right here in your suburb? close to where you live? Do you believe that the harvest is plentiful even at your workplace? Part of the reason why there's a lot of inactivity when it comes to evangelism and outreach is because of an inner conflict many of us have. That God is good, but people don't seem to want him. And Jesus resolves this for us. Again, this is so important. I want to encourage you to fully embrace what I'm teaching today. This principle of inner conflict when you fully, fully understand how to resolve the inner conflicts, the me-me conflicts that you experience, that cognitive dissonance, the me-work conflict that we're talking about, the me-flesh conflict that we're talking about, and sometimes the me-God conflict that we can experience, when you resolve it, it's amazing how you start getting things done. But a lot of us don't take time to resolve the inner conflict. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we ask for your help. May you expose the inner conflicts that we're experiencing. May you show us the consequences of these inner conflicts, whether it's to do with the anxiety in our lives, whether it's to do with us just remaining in limbo and procrastinating on so many things, or the relationship ambivalence we find ourselves in. Father, may you give us tools, may you give us the skill and the ability as we yield to you, Lord, to say, come and help us with these inner conflicts let the result be a bias toward action. May we do what you've called us to do. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.